All right. Team, huddle up. Huddle up, everybody. Huddle up. You know the drill. This is the locker room. My name is Coach Herzog. I'm not lead Coach McVitie. I'm not head Coach Jesus. I'm not the general manager of the Holy Spirit. I'm not the owner of the Father. Did you get that? I'm Coach Herzog. I'm not the lead Coach McVitie. I'm not the head Coach Jesus. I'm not the general manager of the Holy Spirit. I'm not the owner of the Herzog. The Herzog, the Father. And this is the locker room. If you remember last week, Pastor Paul mentioned how we train better. We train better. Amen. And I immediately have this thought. It's like a locker room. Think about this. When you think about being a football player, what do you imagine? You imagine being on the field, right? Catching the pass, throwing the pass, tackling the guy. I bet very few of you would think about being in the locker room. That's not typically where our mind goes. But here's the thing. In our American church, oftentimes, we get it flipped. And we think, this is the game. We think, this is where we play the metaphorical game. But that's not the truth. The truth is, this is the locker room. This is where we gather as a team. This is where we learn better together, where we train better together. And what happens in a locker room? It's where we encourage each other. It's where we learn. It's where we listen to the head coach teach us. It's where we, um, where we if we have wounds, we bind up our wounds. We, we, uh, we come together and we, we, we find wherever our hurts are and we want to encourage and help and heal and pray for each other. And sometimes what happens is we get it flipped around because we think, as a Christian, I go to church and that's it. But the reality is, what matters is what happens out there. Amen? That's what, ha- that's, that's what, I mean, this is important. This is critical. This is important for our spiritual growth. That we train together. But this isn't all of it. This is only my first sermon, okay? That's the first message of the sermon, is that piece. I want to bring that together. Marcus! Marcus, I need you to pay attention. Five burpees now. So, that's what this is. This is a locker room where we keep it together, all right? Allie, five burpees now. Get up here on the stage. Very important. We have to keep order in a locker room. All right, go, five. You're supposed to clap. Where, there we go. Clap. One more. <laughs> Give him a hand. We train better together. And, that's, and this, this series we're in is called, uh, in, we're in training. This is about being a disciple and learning how to be a disciple. So what I want to do this morning is I want to do what any good coach would do. And that is go back to the fundamentals, right? It's funny how coaches love to say that sort of thing. Let's go back to the fundamentals, right? So I was looking at uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Paul had a, had a um, uh, one of his theses for his sermon was, uh, a disciple of Jesus is obedient, surrendered, and contagious. Let's bring that up on the screen. Remember this? A, a disciple of Jesus is obedient, 
surrendered, and contagious. And I kind of thought about, what does that mean, really? I mean, how does that play out in our life? Because, I don't know about you, but oftentimes in church, there's the question, will you surrender your life to Christ? And there, we, have, we have experiences, we have memories where uh, the Holy Spirit moved on us and we said, yes, I surrender my life to Christ. And there's this amazing moment where we've been changed, where we enter, we join the team, we're on the team. Maybe we prayed the prayer, maybe we signed the card. But what, does it, what actually happens? Like what's, what's going on inside of us when, when that happens? And I think it's really helpful to kind of unpack this. Because maybe you're like me and have found that I've, I've had experiences like that where I've encountered Christ, where I've decided to follow him, where I've surrendered my life to him. Yet there are parts of my life that still need work, that still need training, that still need to grow, which is why I think we're in this series called In Training. There's, it's an acknowledgement that there's still work to be done in us if we're going to be followers of Christ. So what I want to do is kind of, I want to break down in a way that hopefully will be helpful to you to see what happens when we surrender, what can happen when we wholly surrender to God, and, uh, and take a look at that. So let's go to the next slide here. I have one statement I created here called, to be surrendered to the holy means we need to be wholly surrendered. It's, it's not as simple as just saying, God, I surrender my life to you. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes and changes us from the inside out like we just sang. But there's a, there's a lot that changes in that moment. There's a lot that can change. And there's a lot that needs to change when we talk about being surrendered or wholly surrendered to Jesus. So what I want to do before I get into the, the pieces of it is I want to read you a passage, and then we're going to read it later in the sermon, okay? So this passage, you've probably heard it, read it before. This is when Jesus is in the Garden of, of Gethsemane. And he's, it says this, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to great, be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Next slide. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I love this picture because it is probably the penultimate picture of surrendering to God, isn't it? I mean, here's Jesus in the garden. The night before he's about to be tortured, put on a cross, hung by two thieves for 12 hours, stabbed in the side, and then, and, and then dies. Can you imagine when it says he was in agony, what he was feeling? Can you imagine that prayer when he said, 
not my will be yours be done. But before that, he says, he says, let this cup, if it's possible, if it's possible, God, let this cup pass for me. There's a lot going on in that surrendering. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Let's look at, look at it. Because here's the thing. We're like an onion. Human beings are like an onion. There's layers to us. And there's a lot going on. So if you have a piece of paper, you could draw a bunch of circles like this. Let me bring this down. If you have a piece of paper, you could draw a bunch of circles like this. And we're just going to talk about the, the layers of the onion. And my hope here is this will help you kind of see what is going on in surrender. And I'm, I'm using what I, uh, the philosopher Dallas Willard's perspective on this. So if you want to learn more about him, there's a, a great book called Renovation of the Heart. And he talks about these layers. This is in chapter 2. I'm basically giving you chapter 2 today. And, and, and then he goes deeper into each one of these. So if any of this resonates with you, I, I highly recommend his book, Renovation of the Heart. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very well-written book. <clears throat> so let's talk about the onion for a second. The onion, that is you. And if you're going to surrender yourself, you're going to surrender multiple layers. So at the center, Dallas would say, we have our will which is our heart and our spirit, all in one. It's kind of the executive center of who we are. The will, the heart, the spirit. The will is your power to act. It's the chooser. It's your say-so. The spirit is the unique part of you. It's, It's the unembodied personal power of you. And the heart is like your core. It's, it, and the reason why we use heart, especially in biblical scriptures, it means that it's, it's core, it's central to who you are. So the, the will, the heart, the spirit, it's all this, this central, the center core part of you. And it's where you make choices. That's really what the will does. It makes decisions. It's the, it's the ability to create. Or to use like Genesis language, it's the, it's the ability to exercise dominion over creation, where it says that, that, that we were created to exercise dominion. It's the will that does this. And it is you making this choice. It is exclusively you. When your will acts, it's not doing it because anyone else told you to do it. You do it. It's your will. And that's important. Because when you choose sin, you're sinning. No one made you sin. You sinned. So that's happening here at this decision-making point, this executive center of who you are. Dallas Willard says this, the human heart, the will, or the spirit is the executive center of the human heart. The heart is where decisions and choices are made for the whole person. Now, there's been some study, especially in uh, psychology, around will and willpower. And a lot of research has shown that the will is weak. In fact, in, fact, in fact, you may be able to, to relate to this because maybe you've driven around uh, in front of like a fast food restaurant where you want to get a lunch and you're like, I probably shouldn't because I'm on a diet. But Lord, Lord, if there is an open parking spot, show me a sign. And then a parking space opens up and you pull in after going around five times and you enter the... McDonald's or wherever you're going to go, the fast food restaurant of your choice. The will is weak. Maybe some of you have seen the marshmallow test. 
Has anyone seen that before? Where they like put a bunch of kids in a room and they put a marshmallow in front of them and they say, if you can sit here for 20 minutes, we'll give you two marshmallows. And they have a camera on the kid and they watch it and the kid's like touching it, licking it, right? Like actually one kid like puts it in his mouth and then takes it out. Like <laughs> all, find all sorts of ways to try to taste this thing. But he knows in 20 minutes he'll get one more. And yet the kid just eats it. So the will is weak. The will is weak. There's actually this guy, Baumeister. He spent 30 years studying willpower and uh, looked at the various, like, did, did a bunch of studies on them and found this, that, that one thing it's, that's, that he says in his book, he says, there's been a loss of character in our society. That a lot of the old study of will was based on this assumption there was character in, our, in our, just our general society. And there's been a huge loss of that. And so in current day, there's the willpower has kind of become, it's changing in a way. Um, but, but more on the weakness part, when they've studied judges, and, when, when, uh, and, and there was a study in Israel where they uh, looked at judges, and they found that these judges were, uh, in the morning, they would give a more merciful judgment to, uh, uh, to an inmate that was on parole than they would in the afternoon. It was like, and what they found was, is because in the morning they were willing to take more risk, willing to be more open, and in the afternoon about 4 o'clock a little tired, and they, they wouldn't be as merciful. The will can be weak. Or think about this. If you've ever been at a, like a job description, or a jo- I'm sorry, a job interview, or you met someone for the first time, and you spend, like you go to lunch with them for, the, for an hour or 90 minutes, and you have to like put on your best self, right? You want to you make the best first impression possible in that job interview or with that, that person for the first time that you've met. And so there's what they call impression management, where you're managing who you are to like the highest degree, and it's draining. You leave those conversations exhausted. You're worn out because it's willpower, willing your entire being to be the best version of you to impress that person, to either get the relationship or get the job. And it wears you out. But here's the amazing thing, is that the will is least drained when it is surrendered to God. Because the will is designed to follow God's will. So when you surrender to God, your will is the least drained. In fact, I've experienced this in my own life where I'm about to go into a meeting, I'm about to go get something done, and I'm just pushing, I'm fighting. And when I remember that God is king of the world, that he has all authority over everything, including business or relationship or church or whatever. That I can, if I just remember to go, God, your will be done. There's like this, oh, there's this, if I can truly surrender my will to him, there's this, this rest, this rest that's found in him. The least draining mode of your will is when it's surrendered to God and to his will. I remember when Joy and I were, uh, in, in, in like 1998, we loved swing dancing, we, we, uh, 99 about, and in college we'd go swing dancing at the St. Paul Caves. Anyone been in the St. Paul Caves before? And so we, uh, it was great because so I'm, I'm like choir boy singing choir boy in high school guy. I was in like in the, it was in the glee club and all that sort of stuff. And she was in the volleyball team. So she's like Miss Athletic, 
super disciplined, highly competitive, right? So then you bring those two together to swing dance. And I approach it like an art form. And Joy approaches it like a sport. And we have some funny, you know, stories. Of, and I remember one time when we were, uh, um, we were dancing at the caves. Um, we were having some trouble with the move. And this guy came up to us. And he, he pulled us aside. He goes, okay, guys, hold on a second. Who's leading? <laughs> and he, looked, he looks at Joy. Who's leading? And she goes, he is. And she look, he looks at me and goes, who's leading? I go, I am. And then I wanted to say, can you repeat that again? Because I kind of like that. <laughs> and and there was the, it, it, like, it fixed a lot of things. Like there, there was these moves required someone to lead. And so we had to come to that decision. Like who is in charge of our life? And so when we talk about surrender, which by the way, did you realize that surrender is not in the text, in the Bible. If you keyword search in your phone for the word surrender, you'll find surrender. But it's in stories of the Old Testament and things like that. Surrender is not in there. What surrender is pointing to is stories like Gethsemane. Or when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. It's the principle of surrender, isn't it? And so when God calls us to do this, to deny ourselves... He's not saying just completely becomes, uh, uh, you know, like uh, uh, completely eliminate self. What he means is this. Eliminate the desires and the fleshly desires that, that, that are within you so that you can be the glorified self that God's created you to be. God has created you to share in his glory, to be like Christ. And that self is more glorious than the, the, the earthly self or the worldly self we find ourselves. And it's also the least draining. Good. Um, the Bible also says that good and evil comes from within us. It says it comes from the heart. And listen to Jesus in Mark 7. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. He's, he's, he's addressing this, this, uh, this debate about if you can eat certain foods. And Jesus says, no, no, no. What comes out of a person, what comes out of a person is what, is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Therefore, our actions, our actions come from the heart, come from the will. And that expresses who we are at the deepest level. Jesus looks at this core part of us, and that's how he relates to us. And in fact, there's a, um, there's a passage where Samuel is looking for uh, a, a king, right? So Saul's failed. If you remember the story, Saul's failed as king. So Samuel goes out to look for another king. And, uh, and he's, he sees uh, the sons of Jesse, and there's these big guys of you know, strong stature, young, look strong. And, Jesus, and God's like, no, no, not this guy, not this guy, not this guy. And he makes this statement, this famous statement that if you've been in church, you, you know what he says this. Do not look. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the, father, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The heart is a critical and core part of who we are. And we worship God from the heart. So that's, um, 
And God is found when we seek him with our whole spirit, our whole being. There's a passage um, in Second Chronicles about King, King uh, uh, Asa. He says this, um, he, he, uh, he seeks God. There's, this, there's, there's all these people that are not following God. And King Asa says this, or uh, King Asa decides to follow him. And it says this, and all Judah rejoiced over the oath. Rejoiced that, that this was happening. For they had sworn with all their heart and have sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. When they sought him with their whole heart and their whole desire, he was found by him. Then there's Jeremiah. Jeremiah says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In the New Testament, it says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In Hebrews eleven six, which if you know Steiger and no longer music, Steve, like Steve was talking about, they, talk, they say this verse all the time. It's, it's core to to what they are as a mission, accord to the, the way their, their mission functions. It says this, this verse, Steve probably knows it by heart. You could say it while it's in his sleep or while he's in surgery. Um, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God rewards those who seek him with a, your whole heart. So let's talk about the next layer of your onion. The next layer of the onion is this. It's the mind. So if you're drawing with me, mind is that, that center, the next ring. And the mind is a combination of your thoughts and your feelings. Very important layer. When we talk about surrendering your mind. There's a lot going on in this ring of the onion. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of study when it comes to the mind. Um, there's, uh, there's a book that uh, I, I work with the team, um, and maybe you've seen this if you, if in some circles, uh, called Emotional Intelligence. There's a lot of work that's done on that. A lot of, a lot of like, corporations and businesses will kind of walk you through it. But what they point out is this amazing truth that science has discovered that there's two parts to your brain, if you want to simplify it. There's this thinking part, this rational part, they call it like the neocortex, and there's the other part of your system, which is the limbic system, and they, they operate very differently. The, the neocortex is like the rational side, it's the, it's the, you know, makes judgment, and then the limbic system, or the amygdala, is like your emotional side, right? But here's the thing, this has been so helpful for me. Whenever something happens to you, whenever you get into an argument with your wife or your husband, Whenever uh, someone cuts you off in traffic, whenever something just gets you emotionally, here's what's happening. Your body, when it takes in information, whether your eyes or your ears, it hits the limbic system first. It gets there faster. And so that, that part, that amygdala, it just reacts. It just like, and they call it like an amygdala hijack in your head. And what it can happen, they've studied, is that your, your amygdala kind of takes over and while your, your neocortex, like the rational side, is going, well, hey, look, there's four options to this. You could either push the brake, or you could just turn, you know, just turn your signal on, turn left. Or really, this is, in the grand scheme of the world, this guy cutting you off is no big deal. I mean, come on. You have 20 minutes before you get to work. You're fine. All these rational thoughts, right? 
the limbic system hijacks that and goes, this guy's the worst human being that's ever existed in the world. You must kill him with your vehicle at this point. And it just, it, like, it, it, the hijack comes in and it cuts out all the other available options. For about 18 minutes, they've discovered this goes on. Which is why, you, when, you have a, when you're all angry and upset, going for a walk is extraordinarily helpful, isn't it? Because it, it clears your head. Some of you who, who maybe would uh, confess to having a temper, I just call it, you can't, you're not aware of your own emotional reaction. You can't control it. But the reality is, you can control it. If you just realize how you work, you could control your temper. Some of you just need to go for a walk. Or in the winter, just go in the basement. Just get away. Let that hijack calm down. And suddenly that one option to kill the guy driving in front of you suddenly becomes those three, four, five options that will appear in front of you. That, that is critical. And so, when it comes to surrendering to God, what does it mean to surrender our feelings? What does it mean to surrender our thoughts? Um, Paul says in Romans 12, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Um, hold, uh, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you will what? If you renew your mind, what does Paul say? So you test and know God's perfect will, his will. You'll be able to discern his will. When we have a a mind that is renewed by God, when it is surrendered to God, we can see with clarity his way. Surrendering the mind is a critical part of our walk with him and knowing him. Now, think about the way you think. When you think, you're like... There's thoughts going through your head constantly. Like right now, you're thinking about like four different things all at once. And so if you try to change your thinking by your just, just straight will, you will, your willpower will just wear out. There's no way it can keep up with your thoughts. Your thoughts are just going extraordinarily fast. It doesn't, it, it's, the will is not good at that. And so we often try to like, I try to control my mind, I try to control my thinking, and your will just wears out. If there's, I wanna, I'm pointing out because there's often an interaction between these layers. I mean, that's where the circle kind of breaks down. That there's, there's, this isn't just like uh, discrete sections of you, of you. These are actually interacting in very, very profound ways. So surrendering your will impacts the way you surrender your mind and vice versa. And so Paul says... Renewing your mind. Set your mind on things above, he says in Colossians. Take your thoughts captive. That's where you begin to be aware of what's going on in me. Maybe just starting there. What's happening to me? Why am I thinking a certain way? The last part is this. uh, um, Actually, the second to last is the body. So when we talk about surrendering ourselves, we talk about the will, we talk about the mind, we talk about the body, or our habits, is another way of putting this. I love this, because, again, when we talk about surrender, we think, well, I'm just surrendering my will. God, whatever you want. But it also requires us to think about how we think, or how, we, how our emotions work, and what we're doing with our emotions. 
Or it also thinks about how our body, our body, our body like has a mind of its own. Remember when you were 16 and you, you were learning how to drive a car? You had to like, you were completely, like it, it took your entire being to keep that car in, this, in that lane. And to keep, to keep the speed at the right level. And to use the brake without slamming your parents into the dashboard, right? You had to, like, you had to kind of learn all those. Now, as an adult, you don't even think about it. It's, you've basically outsourced all that to your body. They call it like muscle memory. There's all sorts of terms, right? Or tying your shoe. Remember when you were a kid or if you've watched your kids tie their shoes? It takes a tremendous amount of focus, doesn't it? All that stuff's been like offloaded. It's all in your body. But that, that's an important point because all, that same thing happens with sin. Like sin gets in our body. Or like Paul says, uh, um, the Apostle Paul says like, it gets in our members. Sin is in our flesh, in our body. And, and what happens is this. Um, we, we develop these habits. And so with a habit, there's kind of like three things that happen. There's like a, there's a cue there's something that, like like occurs in your life, like someone um, like either uh, you, either you feel lonely, like you you have uh, you feel lonely, and so there's like a behavior to deal with that lonely loneliness. What's something that you do to overcome that loneliness, and then you do that behavior because there's what there's a reward, and we as human beings get this embedded inside our body. So that a lot of times when, when it comes to our spiritual walk with Christ, we're going to Bible studies, we're studying, we're learning theology, we are, um, we are thinking like Christ, uh, we, we're doing what he wants us to do, but then we find, why do I still struggle with this thing? Why is this sin still in my life? And oftentimes, um, there's a thing called halt. These are critical cues. Hunger, anger, Loneliness or tired. When you're hungry, it's a cue. You eat, you feel good. Maybe eat too much, you feel good. And then you're like, why do I keep doing this? When you're angry, there's a cue. I'm angry. What do I do? I yell. I, maybe I, I, uh, I, I just leave. I don't talk to anybody. I withdraw, right? And there's that reward. When you're lonely, what do you do? There's a cue. Maybe you turn to pornography or to alcohol, and there's a reward because of that. And it gets embedded in your body. So when we talk about surrender, it includes retraining this. And sometimes we have to cooperate with God in doing that. Sometimes God comes in and just goes, he takes the power away. And I've seen that. You've seen that. Like, God comes in, and he will just, like, remove this. Other times, he doesn't. And it requires us to work with him to break these patterns, to break that habit in us. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about this, about this sermon, I know it's a lot of content I'm throwing at you, but it's this. My heart is for the person who's just extremely discouraged in their walk with Christ. I'm like, why do I keep struggling with this? Well, maybe there's some really rational reasons why this is happening in your life, and you just need to take a look at the cue and look at the behavior and start trying to understand why this is happening in you and find ways to address it. Sometimes the Spirit comes and just takes it away, and other times it requires us 
to work with God. He's given us energy and power and a brain and, and, and even science like to understand how this works and then eradicate it from our life. That can be a part of surrender. Um, there's one more part here in, on the, uh, the circle, and I'll spin this around. And that is the social side of you. The social side of you is that is another key part of who you are as a person. It's that interaction with people. You know, you think social is critical. You, you hear stories about um, little babies who are born in orphanages and they have no human interaction. Uh, they can get nourishments, but if they have no human interaction, they will often die. Um, there's research shown that that it says that uh, um, if you have healthy habits, like you're a very healthy person, but you live in isolation, you're twice as likely to die as those who don't have healthy habits, but live in community. Which means it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli by yourself. (laughs) Social relationships are critical to who we are. There's another another study that that, um, was looking at the, the small group movement in the church. And this one researcher was saying is one of the biggest, the small group movement is one of the biggest revolu- revolutions in our generation. And um, what they, one study showed that if, if people who are isolated, if, if all things be equal, if, if someone who's isolated just makes one choice to join a group, they, are, they, they cut their odds of dying in half. Which is why I want to introduce you our new home group's uh, logo. It says this, home groups, join a group or die. (laughs) Humans, we need this social interaction. God made us to be relational human beings, which is why Paul's sermon last week was so critical. We train better together. And then the last thing is, is this whole circle here is what Willard calls, this is our soul. This is our soul. And this is a little strange for us, and maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not sure if I'll be able to convince you of his perspective on the soul. If you want to read more, read his perspective. But, he, but, but Willard says that the soul is the deepest part of yourself in terms of overall function. It's like you put, the all, put this all together, and this describes who you are, the deepest part of you. Think about it in terms of functions. Like when, when you put all this together and, and it creates this entity, it's you. It's your soul. It's depth. Like when we talk about somebody being soulful, it's that depth of all of this, the sum of all this put together. Now, when, you, when, it, when we talk about surrender, I've, I've just talked about all these different parts of surrender. Um, we can get this backwards in two different ways. One is this. We can live a disintegrated life where maybe this, maybe I'm choosing to harbor judgment against somebody. I am a, I'm, I'm being judgmental towards somebody. But that, that goes against my thoughts. Like, I think judgment's wrong. 
Like my will says I'm judging you, but my mind says I don't, I'm not supposed to judge. And then I see you, and my nonverbals, I've got to control them, because I don't want you to know I'm judging you, so I'm going to put a, a happy face. We're great at managing our face. And we're disintegrated. Our will's going this way, our mind's going this way, and our body's going this way. And talk about exhausting. It just drains us of energy, and it drains you of who you are, or who God wants you to be. So, when we surrender to God, there's an integration of all these things. The will is saying yes in the same direction as the mind saying yes in the same direction, as the body saying yes in the same direction, and our social realities all align with that. There's another way to look at this, where things get all out of sorts. It's when we look at the, you know, we sing the song Inside Out, from the inside out. A lot of times we live our life from the outside in where we let our social life and our body, the desires of our body and our thoughts, then to influence our will. And our will is like, I don't want to do this, but there's all sorts of aspects of us, all sorts of layers that are pressuring us to do something. And finally our will just relents and goes, all right, fine, I'll just do it. That's why we got to deal with this piece. Where the, the life of Christ, the life following Jesus, is starting here, originating in the center, choosing to live from the inside out, and letting that influence your mind, letting that influence and control your body, letting God's spirit do that, and then your social life and, and outward. That is what he's calling us to do. Take a look at Romans 8, if you go to the next slide. It says this, For those who are according to, that is, who live in terms of the flesh— live in terms of the body or the mind, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh Cannot please God. Next slide, please. You, however, you as followers of Christ, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that's an important point. Many of us have been in church for a long, long time, but we may not have the Spirit. We may not have what God has put... We may not have a new heart that God has put into our into us, into the will. We may not have been regenerated. We may be spiritually dead. Which is why all this conversation about following Christ and trying to get all these things in order, if you don't have the power of God, you can be extremely discouraged. And I've seen it. You perhaps have seen it. We need God to come in and do only the work that he can do. And that is to regenerate our spirit, regenerate our heart, and bring, make us alive in Christ. And that is why this, that's why often in this service, Paul will have you pray and, ha, and call people to pray and invite them into the kingdom because we want them to experience the power of God in their life. We want to call them into the kingdom. And then I want to point this out, next passage, st- extremely uh, powerful verse. Everything sums up to this. The, the law and the prophets sum up to this. Jesus says this, You shall love the Lord with God, the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And what I want to do here to close is this. I want to read that Gethsemane passage again. And I want you to look at and see how Jesus is surrendering to God in all these different aspects of his life. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll see something you didn't see before. Next slide. Uh, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. There's something going on here, isn't there? In the mind and the thoughts. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed. If that were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Some, a power from God came to strengthen him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow, the social side. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Here in this extraordinary moment of surrender, you can see all the layers in action. And Jesus dealing with them one by one, surrendering to God. So the next slide. To be surrendered to the holy means we need to be wholly surrendered. I want to go back to my point about being alive in Christ. We have the worship team come and the ushers come as well. I'm going to read this passage to you. We just close your eyes for a moment as I read this passage. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would awaken something in you this morning that's never been awakened before, so that you would have the power to surrender, not just your will, but your entire soul. Ephesians 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in our world, among whom we are all once, that we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace You've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Holy Spirit, come and do the work that only you can do. We need your help, Lord. I pray this awareness of all these layers would help us to see and pinpoint where we need training. God, show us, if there's someone who's discouraged today, Lord, they're, they're fighting a battle in one of the layers in their life, 
God, encourage them today. Bring your power, bring your wisdom, help them to see how they can surrender that part of their life to you. And Lord, help us as a church collectively to train together, to learn together, to encourage each other. Help us to see with, with, with wisdom, with spirit-led eyes, how we can encourage each other, how we can, um, we can uh, help lift each one so we can follow you more and more every single day, Lord. Thank you for your grace. I pray your spirit would fall on hearts that have never been alive to you before. And they would experience your amazing grace and your amazing power. Only you can do that, God. And we ask, Lord, that you would. God, as we close out this locker room time, may we go out into the world encouraged. May we see your, uh, your hand in our life, Lord. And may we be contagious as we surrender and continually obey what you call us to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.